Hey, it's Karen. Welcome to Rational in Portland, where we say everything that you can't say in Portland. We have high-profile professional Jennifer on today. We're going to answer some of your questions, and we're going to get updates about the latest in local politics in the city of Portland, which Jennifer is so well-versed on. When did you start evolving? Was it in 2020, or was it pre-2020? Well, like, I had a problem with the Portland Teachers Union 10 years ago. When they were about to go on strike years ago and everyone was like, I won't cross the picket line. My husband and I were like, you know what? Our kids barely getting an education to begin with. Uh, this was when we were in P- Portland Public. Um, we're, we're not going to we're not going to miss more school, you know, and they ended up resolving before they, they went on strike. But um, so, you know, I've had concerns about unions for probably 20 years especially public Um, unions it's just bizarre it's like this is the portland public school district not an upton sinclair novel just i and i i think these things are like hooey anyways i signed up for like a package of you know there's those like ultrasound wand things that are supposed to make you lose belly fat right (laughs) yeah (laughs) for something like that at the auction or something yeah, they measure you and it's I, you know, like, yeah, you've dropped half an inch and, you know, it's so I snake oil. Yeah. So this woman, uh, like in my uh, my second session said, you know, I feel like you're a really reasonable person. I, I normally would never tell this to anyone, but, you know, I voted for Trump and I'm going to vote for Trump again. And I, you know, I'm like naked, I'm like naked laying on this table, getting this fake medical procedure done. And so I said at the time, um, you know, I, I, she said, you know, show me why I should vote for Biden. Like when at your next session, like come back. And I, I was totally nice and polite, but I could not stomach a woman voting for Trump. I, I, couldn't. I know. And I sent her a polite email and I was honest with her. And I recently apologized to her. I sent her a message she graciously, um, I, I created this women's group. That's how I met her. And it's exploded because all the woke people have destroyed every woman's business group on Facebook. Literally, they have taken over these groups. It, um, what was it called? Mob? Was that one? M-O-B? I don't know. Um, I think it's it. So there were How all have they destroyed them? Groups. Tell us about that. Because I actually don't know the insight uh, into that. Because in at least two of them women demanded either that the um the creator the founder um make them admins because they are black women um and then it became this you know um you're acute you know white women were not supposed to respond to like insanely racist i see uh, things that were going on it was like the it was like the wall of moms thing exactly like that um, and so this big group that it had started like out with all these people, good intentions and then it was yes. summarily dismantled yeah, well, and, and canceled. Most of them were for women's business, you know, women business owners. And so I remember one where a woman demanded that only black women be able to uh, post about their jobs uh, like for, on certain days and then the reparations demand started and I'm like oh God, I'm not going to stay in this group like this is ridiculous so the big one 
it just completely imploded where they shut it all down. And that's why I have like 2000 people in my group now, because all of these women were looking for a women's business group, which is what we are. And I, in my rules and stuff, I don't tolerate any of that nonsense. I mean, I say you have to agree to this. There's not going to be any try to, you know, make yourself feel better by shaming other women. There's not, not going to be any of this work staying focused in the mission. And but it, crazily, we have. I mean, there's just none of that. It's this awesome sisterhood of every race and background of women helping each other, you know? Um, That's wonderful. But, I got off track. I don't remember where I was going. Well, I'm sorry. I, I got first... you off track. You oh. apologize to this esthetician. Oh, yes. I sent her. She graciously, because I'm, I want to have a, a party for all of these women somewhere this summer. And so I said, well, someone keep track of all the women that want to participate and help and create an index. And she sent me this very gracious message offering to do so and did not mention any of that. And I'm like, I am a dick. So I replied and I said, you know, I owe you an apology. And I, I just said, I've evolved a lot since then. And I'm really sorry. And I am really sorry. Um, you know, my parents have lifelong friends who my husband and I did not want coming to our daughter's bar mitzvah because they were Trumpers. Um, and of course, because if you know my mother, you would know that that really wasn't an option that everything, you know. My mom had me look at 10 wedding venues only to tell me that we're getting married at the venue that they got married. So anyways, she's kind of a ball buster. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I just, my thinking, and, and especially, I mean, my vitriol towards Jews who voted for Trump was like a thousand times worse than towards non-Jews. Because I just felt like, you know, how could my people do this? And it was a pretty big percentage, 24% in the first election, probably more in the second. Um so while I still do not understand, I don't understand people who think the election was stolen. I don't understand people who support him. I don't understand how people can overlook just how gross he is. I don't. Yeah. I mean, just people that I enjoy, you know, exchanging ideas with on Twitter, um, where that's part of their tagline, you know, and I just... So what, what have you ever asked them about it? And what do they say? Because I haven't talked I, to anybody who thinks, I don't think that Rosie thinks the election was stolen. Lionel oh, didn't say anything of, about that. Oh, speaking of Rosie, I've got, I've got a bone to pick with uh, Rosie and hot dad. I've been feeling like they're creeping into my, my territory and I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. I'm going to be monitoring the podcast closely. I, I don't know. I'm I'm finding Rosie suspicious. She seems a little too nice. A little she's too very friendly. Nice. Seems to be, you know, she's drop dead gorgeous. Looks she like a is. supermodel. She does. And she I sounds like hot. I think people assume right. that she probably was hot because I, I've gotten a lot of comments asking if she's hot because she does sound really? hot. Yeah. I'm sure you get a lot from me too. Most of what I get from you about you are questions about politics because nobody understands what's going on in the city and they're waiting oh, for you to explain it to us and I say, uh, me too. Oh, Everybody okay, gets so, their hardesty information from you, for instance. Okay, let's let's take a deep dive. But also, hot dad, um, I may not be going to private islands with Tony Robbins, but... I feel like we should after that, though. While he was talking, I really thought to myself... Maybe this is something we should be doing. What did I say? Remember what I said to you after I listened? Yeah, to I need podcast? to be making more money, and maybe I should go to one of these. 
seminars. Yes. He's like, you know, so I sold my third company. I know. He has a song. He, yeah. yeah, there's nothing he doesn't do. He's writing a book. He's doing a documentary. He's a star on TikTok. He's did, did attending he protests. What restaurant, what restaurant he was involved with? I didn't hear because I I saw that that one clip where he talked about. I had never Portland. heard of it. Um, oh, okay. I remember it may or may not have been in the recording. He did share what it was, and I had never heard of it. And it's somewhere in Northwest Portland, and it was like a wellness kind of juice place and which is probably why I'd never heard of it uh if it's not ice cream or french fries I probably have not heard of it wow well I certainly was not the person that saved money during the pandemic all I did was buy things I bought the mirror exercise thing you did Uh, is it any good uh uh-huh it's great yeah I don't do it enough but I set up a my neighbor has that I have a little gym in my house. That's my trainer comes to me. I prefer that. I've got the bench and the weights and the bells and all that. And uh, that's where the mirror is. Yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, you've heard about Pelican is just in the tank, right? That company, that their stock is like based, they're ba- basically bankrupt. Well, is it is that because they had to recall all those treadmills? I don't think so. I think it's because you know, everybody bought one during COVID and a lot of people realized I'm not going to use this. And then they were, you know, selling them for next to nothing. I'm waiting for somebody to sell one to me. That's how I think I'm planning on getting one is just buying one that's been used three times from somebody down the street or something. So I want, if you hear of it, I want to buy one of those things where you shake, you know, you stand on it and you jiggle. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? I really, I think there's something to that when I have used them occasionally. Like for your core? Yeah, for your core where you turn it on and it's, and then you can like do things on it. I'm going to buy one of those. I don't know what it's, what it's called, but um, I was listening to Megan Kelly. Did you listen to the episode where a black female professor who's devoutly Carol Christian, Swain. Carol Swain. Yes. So this woman grew up she's she was kind of a nut job but yeah she she was fascinating she was fascinating she she, i mean i don't agree with her on her views about gay marriage i don't agree with her about i certainly don't agree with her about some of the anti-muslim statements that she made but the students at vanderbilt mandated that she go through uh diversity training this black woman who grew up in one of 10 children with no running water in the segregated South and ended up graduating, I think, from Yale. Uh, it's just insulting. But anyways, I digress. Um, okay, let's talk Portland, shall we? I th- she did graduate from Yale. So she, for anybody who doesn't know, there was a woman named Carol Swain on Megan Kelly, and it was a super interesting episode, if not to just listen to what I think is such a rarity, which is a really, really far right wing, not fringe. I, I didn't think anything she said was fringe, but I, I, you know, I disagreed with a fair amount of it, but a really right wing black person, black woman, was part of why it's so interesting to listen to her because you just don't hear those kind of opinions that often. But, you know, as you said, she came from absolutely nothing. Like she worked she she got a GED and worked as a cashier in McDonald's for a while. And she got her associate degree at a community college. Then she got a BA from a place called, from Roanoke College. She got a master's at Virginia Tech. And she finished a PhD in poli sci from Chapel Hill. And in 2000, she got a master of legal studies from Yale Law School. Wow. 
And she got married at 16, not because she was pregnant, but because it was the only way out. She knew that she didn't love the guy, but he had a full-time job and a car and she, she could escape um, the poverty and, and depression and all of that that she was living with. Um, Yeah. She dropped out in the ninth grade. It's just amazing. She lived in a trailer park with her grandmother. I mean, this woman has clawed her way to the top of the ladder. You, you know, when when Whoopi said her stupid anti-Semitic stuff on The View, it was interesting because she's, you know, she's disliked a lot by the right for the things that she says. Everybody on the right said overwhelmingly, no, she should not be fired. No, she should not be canceled. And you know what? It's insulting that her 35-year-old producer suspended her so that she could think about the 65-year-old woman could pause and think. And as a Jewish person, I agree with that. I This whole mentality of, um, of picking and choosing the First Amendment is just insulting and discru- it's gross. The ACLU is unrecognizable now. It's unrec- it's just it's not it's not what it used to be at all. Well, they're um, fighting bizarre instead of fighting yes. for unlikable speech, they're fighting against actions that they dislike. They're taking political stances, they're changing Ruth Bader Ginsburg quotes so that, that so just... that she's no longer talking about women specifically yeah. even though her entire career, I mean they made a movie about her called On the Basis of Sex. Yeah. I don't know that they would call that movie that today. Would they? I don't think they would. Uh, That was just a few years ago. Yeah. And I hope we have time today after the local stuff to talk about this, um, this war on women. Because, you know, when you think about that term war on women... A few years ago, I, I I would think about it in terms of reproductive rights and, and anti-abortion laws. And I have a very different take on what war on women uh, looks like today. Well, let's talk um, about it now. Tell, okay. tell us kind of what, what's going through your head. I Well, I've, I've been reading and listening to a lot of Abigail Schreier, who, by the way, is, you know, I love what she says in that she doesn't take it personal because she's a journalist. She wasn't writing about this from an emotional perspective. It was a real thing that was happening. She discovered this doctor who was studying it and hearing these stories. She was talking to transgender adults who were all telling her, I knew when I was two or three that I was born in the wrong body. This doesn't happen out of the blue when you're 15 or 16. Um, And, you know, she was more than canceled, but she talks a lot about, uh, feminism and and why aren't feminist, feminists standing up for lesbians, by the way, because this new movement is basically saying uh, to girls who are, you know, butch lesbians, and I think that is the proper term, oh, you're not a lesbian, you're transgender. And all of these parents are saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I have two different friends. I, I, I don't think I've been on since we talked about this. Two different friends whose daughters Both have had very awkward social experiences through elementary and middle school, have never really fit in. Both, I would guess, are lesbians, have have come out to their parents as um, transgender and said they want to start taking hormones. And I told both of them, you may hate me for saying this, but you've got to read this book before you do anything. And you have to make sure that your schools know that they are not to do or say anything to your child without you being present about this. Because in Oregon and California... Um, and probably Washington, 
the school districts are concluding that home isn't safe. They're assuming that most parents would uh, would uh, disown a child for coming out as transgender and would kick them out of the house and then they would end up on the streets and then they, they would end up as sex workers and so on and so on. And so they're telling their teachers, uh, do not share this information with the parents. That I, I can't even begin to tell you the rage I would feel if I found out that that was happening. And I don't believe either. It's just, it's scientifically impossible that you've got these pockets of girls, three or four girls in the same social group in the same school, all coming out as transgender. And what um, the biggest concern is for the people that have already reversed back, have already realized, oh no, I'm depressed and anxious about everything, but this didn't make me feel better because that's why these girls are, are doing this is they think, okay, I guess I'm transgender. Once I become transgender, once I start changing, um, I'll feel better. And then, and then they get there and they're like, wait a minute, I don't feel any better. Um, like the book said, it's irreversible damage. It causes um, infertility. Uh, the, the girls who have reversed back have a, have a permanent five o'clock shadow. There are things that happen that are, that are create a lifetime of problems. You have an increased risk of cancer because of the hormones. Kudos to Leah Thomas. I, I am complete. She's an adult. I am completely in support of her um, feeling that she is whoever she is. This is not about being pro or anti-trans. This is about this is about a war on on girls and women. And so the most recent issue is that a, a woman that was born biologically a woman tied with Leah Thomas in a recent race. And the NCAA told her that Leah was going to hold the, uh, the, the trophy. And she said, well, why? We tied. Why is she holding the trophy? And they said, oh, we're doing it by um, like cr cr alphabetical order, something that didn't make any sense. And they, they said, we're going to call her as fifth place and you as sixth place, but we'll send you the fifth place trophy later. And so this girl is like, Fuck this. And she she's she went on on she she's the only one that's publicly gone on media and talked about what's going on. Um, I don't know how Leah Thomas can I don't know how she can look herself in the mirror in the morning. Um, and again, people think that because here's here's what the activist or the fringe people are doing. They're making the trans community look bad the overwhelming majority of the transgender community and the gay and lesbian community do not think Leah Thomas should be able to compete with biologically born girls. Uh, Caitlyn Jenner has been very vocal of speaking out about it. Um, and Caitlyn yeah, Jenner she said, has. yeah, and she said there's, this is a war on women's sports. We need to fight back. Um, Angel, I can't think of his last name. He's amazing. Transgender guy adamantly opposed to this and um if a woman Buck says Angel. yes yeah if a woman says you know i feel like this is misogynistic and i feel that this is discrimination against women what the hell would happen to her i mean it would be antifa and death threats and all of that stuff and i i so love that my baby has started listening i've realized here's a tip because your girls are younger than mine one of the best things that I did with my kid is when she started getting into this whole woke revolution is that I never, I never told her that her ideas were nuts. I never, I mean, occasionally I would say that's where, like 
someone would be pansexual or something and I would roll my eyes. But for the most part, I never criticized her, but I also never covered up my views or feelings um, or, or, or agreed with her when I didn't agree with her. And so on her own, she started listening to the Barry Weiss podcast, which surprised me very much because she- Such a good podcast. So good. And at that age, she like a year ago, she was really more in the thick of it than she is now. She's coming out of the other side. But um, I said, I'll, I'll be interested to hear what your thoughts are about the Leah Thomas episode. And I thought she would be in support of her swimming. I, I really did. And she called me right away from school and said, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I can't believe how unfair this is. Um, and it is, it's unfair and it's ridiculous. And whatever message they're trying to make um, is at the expense of these girls who have gotten up at four o'clock in the morning on blizzard days in the snow to go to get to the pool, to swim for two hours before class. It is saying F you. It, that's what it's saying to these girls. And I've had it. And I'm, I'm not afraid to speak out against it. I have a transgender nephew who is actually transgender. Uh, like I say, I don't remember. I don't even remember him as a girl. And, you know, once he came out, it was so, there were so many aha moments that it was like, oh, this is all adding up. Um, so I, I don't care if people accuse me of being a bigot. Um, I think I owe it. I owe it to girls to say something, you know, in my little way. I think we all should. Um, it's hard to have the courage to speak up about that, especially in Portland. So I commend you for doing that. Thank you. It is. I've, I've gotten less and less afraid. You know, we know that we have these nut jobs who are, uh, at times have been obsessed with both of us and, and apparently devoted hours and hours of their life to figuring out who I, who I was. And it, it must've required them to listen to probably two hours of podcasts and, school board meetings. I mean, that, that is a weird pathology. I feel like I put my money where my mouth is. I feel like my reputation and the things I've done for this community speak for themselves. And that anyone who knows me knows that I'm not um, a bigot. Um, So I just don't care, but I do care about the fact that I have a child going to college in a few years. And I'm really terrified about uh, what things are going to look like then. My hope is that this is the peak and that we're going to start coming out of the other side by the time she goes to school and that we're not going to be seeing professors fired for uh, tenured professors for sharing a completely rational view about something like Brett Weinstein did. Um, that's, that's my hope. I don't think the university of Austin is going to be up and running uh, yet. Uh, there's, I think it's going to take them a few years before the Barry Weiss school is, I think she'll, I think it'll be after my daughter's goes to college, but um, I'm glad that she's looking. I think at, that's right. I'm glad that she's looking at um, other parts of the country and Canada, and that she's not going to be in in Oregon um, or Washington, most likely. So she'll get a different perspective. But that's my war on women thing. Um, that needs to be heavily vetted in prisons. You know, there have been multiple occasions of rapes by transgender inmates against women inmates. Um, there was a recent awful, awful case where a, a, t- a teenager and his dad, he was ch- convicted of a really pretty heinous sexual assault, if I recall correctly. And they developed this whole ploy. It was not, he wasn't transgender to be able to go to a female juvenile facility, I believe. And 
the recordings between him and his dad were released to the public, the jail recordings. Uh, the DA down there is worse than the DA up here, it seems, and gave him a ridiculously good deal and was all about this going to a women's prison. And then the whole thing blew up. And of course, then they got hard line because the, the bag was out, but the cat was out of the bag. Um, we need to stop for a minute and start really looking at this. Um, and it's it's weird and scary, you know. And, and again, I, I want your listeners to know and remember, and this is especially true about Portland, the people the media talk about and interview are not the majority of Portlanders. So even though they only choose to interview homeless, quote unquote, activists who are all have conflicts of interest because they have contracts with the city and they're part of the homeless machine and they don't interview homeowners or renters or the housed, it doesn't mean that most people believe what these activists believe and they don't. And we're going to see that in May and it's going to be great. It's going to be great. You know, what's so interesting is it's not just Portland and Portland schools that are engaged in elevating, maybe is the word, or overcorrecting or the pendulum swinging to sort of the fringe areas of advocacy for kids who may need some counseling or may just be confused and, and just sort of tagging them as immediately as transgender because have you heard about what's going on in the same Salem Kaiser school district? No. It's crazy. There it it's just there's a whole thing, a whole string on libs of TikTok, which is again, I don't always agree with, but is is kind of funny and kind of good at exposing the far fringe left wing of America. And they just, Salem Kaiser, according to the libs of TikTok Twitter thread, they have documents and everything. They say they just issued new procedures for trans students that state that school staff will not disclose any information that may reveal a student's transgender status to others, including caregivers. Name and gender changes will be kept confidential. Now, on the one hand, I I understand, but this sort of goes into a very gray area of Democrat parents, parents who consider themselves liberals, maybe like you and me, who certainly support transgender people, but who may have kids that haven't revealed to us that they're struggling, who we're not going to abuse, we're not going to make homeless, we're going to get set up with the right counseling. If they truly are transgender, we're going to support them through that process, of course, to the to the extent it involves reassignment surgery. You and I were just talking about this this last weekend with people, friends of ours who are getting reassignment surgery and supporting them and loving them through that. That is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about kids, sometimes very young kids, who are changing their name and their gender unbeknownst to their very caring, ostensibly liberal parents. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if, you know, First of all, our schools have done such an epically bad job of of um, helping uh, kids who are being abused and neglected at home, especially during the pandemic. Um, and you know, it's it's like, but this is the issue that you know they're going to really jump on and and you know protect the the, the well being of kids. And by the way, just like any other situation, our, you know, DHS is a, is a mess and, and as is our foster care system. But, you know, if, if there is a, 
a situation where so, someone is truly transgender and they have parents who are against it or who would disown them or whatever, you know, there are ways of... I can count on more than one hand the number of people who would take that kid in, no matter right. how, even if they're... T- I, know, I know people say teenagers are sort of thrown away and, and I think that's sadly and in generally true, but I know, we know people who've taken in teenagers that have been discarded by parents, by foster parents, by multiple, multiple people. And I certainly think they would help these people. And the idea that you couldn't find an an ally to assist you or that the school couldn't contact DHS or contact authorities who, who could help na- this kid navigate their way out of an abusive household is silly. Why wouldn't you do that? Why would you hide it, hide those that information from all parents. Why wouldn't you delineate between parents that are engaged in abuse, which is illegal, and parents who really just care about their kid and want to know what's going on with them and want to hook them up with the correct resources? I mean, there's more. It also says, stu- allegedly, in Salem Kaiser, this is according to Libs of TikTok on Twitter, that students can use any bathroom, and they have documents, students can use any bathroom and locker room that corresponds to their gender identity. A locker room? So, I mean, this is what happened to my kid at camp. I don't know if you heard that episode. I did. My 10-year-old went to camp, and the showers were, and the bathrooms were genderless. And there was no way to wall yourself off when you were showering or toileting. And her friend, a male who also attended, saw, was brushing his teeth and watching a peer shower. You know, not in a period way, just he's 10 and was like, yeah, what is happening here? Did you find out after the fact? Yes. This is a camp that goes back to the 40s that my mother attended, that I attended, that it, you know, it's generational, literally in, in Oregon, it's this beloved sort of tradition, particularly in the Portland area. And we were blown away by all of this. The way we're headed, this is they're going to be living in this genderless world where the very most important thing about you is the color of your skin. The business world will soon be run by these people. And it is. It currently is. As we know, it, it already is. Yeah. It's run by all these people. And what the schools are doing is it's like, you know how, um, you know, every wife will tell you that, you know, one of the biggest fights they've ever had with their husband was when they didn't have their back in front of the kids, right? Like, that is just the absolute, you know, I don't care if you disagree with me, but if you do it in front of the kids, I'm going to, you know, you're going to be sleeping on the couch tonight. It's, it's an easy way to turn, you know, to, to allow kids to, to play both sides. You know, if, if the teachers yes. are letting the kids... Particularly the adolescents letting, right, who, are, who are, are designed to right, do that. Exactly. If the teachers are saying to middle school and high schoolers, you know, we, you know, we don't trust your parents enough to disclose this information and you can come to me and it'll be a secret. What, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to make, I mean, they're teenagers. They're going to be like, oh, I didn't do my homework because, you know. I'm transgender. I would do that. I totally would have done that. I was the worst adolescent ever. And they're programmed to be like that. They're programmed, that is natural. They are programmed to start pushing away from parents in pre-adolescence and certainly in throughout adolescence. They are that is a normal part of growing up is to rebel against your parents. It, it gets every- more interesting regarding athletics. Every student, this is Salem Kaiser School District, 
according to libs of TikTok and libs of TikTok on Twitter has these documents, every student allegedly will be considered for eligibility on the team that most aligns with their gender identity. There's also a gender support plan that directs the staff on how to handle getting asked about a student's gender from a parent. On overnight field trips, students will sleep in rooms with whichever gender they choose and identify with. We need a Salem Kaiser parent to come on the pod. So if you're a if you know a Salem, we do. Um, if you know a Salem Kaiser parent, you need to DM um, Karen because yeah, get in touch to with us. Yeah, I'll I'll do some I'll do some investigating on that as your as your talent booker. For those of you who don't know, we're at Rational MPDX on Twitter, and you can send us a direct message, even if you're not a. Twitter person, you can certainly get on there and just create a little account whereby you can communicate with us. Uh, currently, we don't, I mean, people don't really read blogs anymore, so I just don't have a blog, but we have, we do have this Twitter feed and you can get in touch with us via direct message or you could just tag us in a tweet and we'll certainly respond. It, should we get to some of these questions? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking we, of then, responses. Yeah. And then we have to, we have to get, we have to tell everybody the updates on local politics and why Sam Adams is a dick. So, but that's for the end. For sure. So who do we owe? We owe bumper stickers to some people. And I don't even know if we got, we, we got a number of questions. I'm scrolling through here because we, it feels like we did get a number of them. Okay. Compromise this on Twitter. Who's at meet me in, excuse me, met in the middle, M-E-T-I-N the middle met in the middle compromises i live in gresham why does it seem like the current candidates for multnomah county chair aren't spending more time in east county for votes many camps exist around the west side and it's my number one issue seems like more pandering to the rich west siders and our friend of the pod shariah mayfield for multnomah county chair responded i live in Gresham and have been going door to door. I'd love to chat with you one-on-one. -on -one. If you PM me, I'll call you. I want to hear all voices. I think that answers that question pretty well. You know, Shariah does live in Gresham. She lives in East County and she's very active in all those East County neighborhood associations and Westside because you're in a Westside neighborhood association that she's also active in, right? Well, we're, we're everywhere. Our group is from all, all, quads okay Portland, but they're mostly east siders i'm one of the few west siders okay um but yeah i am voting for shariah i don't agree with her on all of her um views but i absolutely agree with her about the homeless crisis and her plan which is a plan and it's a plan to act immediately i think she is a natural leader and she is not afraid to stand up against cronyism and nepotism and I, I think Sharon Mirren is a lovely, wonderful human being and in, in this for the right reasons, but I think she's been part of the political machine too long. And I just think once you have those sort of, you know, close relationships and it's really hard to take a firm stand. Um, and, and, uh, but both of them want, agree that the funds that have been taxed by the wealthy uh, that were supposed to go to all of this uh, housing should be diverted to shelters. So I, I agree. I'm glad that Sharon's on board with that because if Sharia wins, people need to understand, um, Sharon will still be a county commissioner. She just won't be the head county commissioner. So it's actually an ideal situation for Sharia to win because then we have two people who are both centrists and who are taking a more, um, 
pragmatic approach to this problem. And I think um, understand the root cause and are willing to admit what the root cause is, which is addiction. Also, friend of the podcast, Susan Griffin, who lives downtown, and we had a podcast with her called Living on the Edge. For those of you who haven't heard it, you should really check it out. It's about a woman who's a lesbian living downtown, struggling with addiction, struggling with poverty and mental illness who suffered. There's no other way to say it. Suffered is still suffering, but suffered through 100 plus nights of riots, was completely unable to sleep, besieged by crime, commercial munitions, all sorts of criminal activity still happening outside of her residence. But she is very good at, she's, she's a very together person in the sense that she's, she's very good at navigating the services that we do have and the system that we do have in place for impoverished people here in Portland and Multnomah County. And although Susan has been impoverished for a long time and hasn't worked in a number of years due to her uh, physical and mental disabilities, she, and she's not mentally disabled, but she's mentally, her mental health suffers. And she's very candid about the fact that those services are certainly lacking, but she is able to house herself. She has never been unable to house herself. And she makes a very clear distinction and a very interesting distinction. Everybody who thinks that the people in tents are mama's work in five jobs or people who, who are living in poverty but are together people should listen to her podcast because she explains the difference between herself and the people living in tents, who she says actually terrorize her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because of their addictions and mental illnesses that are not being taken care of. So she, her question was, when did weird, and she's at Susan Griffin 530 on Twitter, when did weird actually work? Did it ever? Right. It did, actually. There was a time. I mean, I think that's what attracted so many of the people that moved here. I agree. You know, late 90s, early 2000s. It was, I mean, you know, a Portland summer five, 10 years ago, I mean, nothing was better. We never travel in the summer because why would you go anywhere else? And um, it's just one of the most beautiful, you get off the plane and you see Mount Hood. Now there is literally a camp that's still on airport property before you even leave the airport. There's tents and garbage at the airport. Um, And I think, you know, Bureau Cat was a great leader in terms of uh, building consensus and getting things done. Sadly, uh, Goldschmidt was the best mayor we ever had. Uh, this was before he was exposed, but there was a there was a time in the '70s when downtown was completely was like it is now, um, and he he was really responsible. In early for, '80s, yeah, early '80s, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, there there was a time where, and he's um, got a lot of his own problems. Yes, but he yes, oh, but a lot. I think a lot of people thought he was a good governor. Despite his a, personal he was a, issues. Yeah, he was a good mayor. He was a good guy. It was just a tragic, I mean, that whole story and what that woman, how, you know, her life turned out, it was just horrible. Um, and, um, but what I didn't know is that, and I can't share how I know this, what I didn't know is that he was honest about it when it came out way back when and said that he would, um, to in his inner circle said that you know he he will come clean he will he will tell you know he'll go to the media he'll 
he'll write this wrong. And he was convinced by all the political players at the time to bury it. So for people who don't know, Neil Goldschmidt was a mayor of Portland. He was also governor of Oregon and his career and his legacy were severely damaged by revelations that he, I, I don't think it's allegedly that no. he raped a young teenage girl in 1973 during his first term as mayor of Portland. Um, the Oregonian did a whole, as much as I rag on the Oregonian, they did a pretty good series on the allegations and sort of how they affected both local and state politics and his life personally. Yeah, he was the Secretary of Transportation under Reagan. I mean, he was a big shot. He was probably... He was. He was probably Oregon's... Became Oregon's biggest, you know, national politician. And and this went on for years. I mean, he was showing up at her dorm room when she went off to college. Um, and like... In a, you know, where like a, a town car would pull up to her dorm and, you know, a guy would get out of the back kind of thing. So anyways, but he did, um, there was a time when it was, you know, it was a good kind of weird, but it was a great, livable, affordable, uh, clean, safe city. This teenage girl, she wasn't like a 17 year old. She was allegedly f- actually 14. She later allegedly indicated she was 13. That's sex with a person under 16, and I, isn't that a felony? So by the time the abuse had become public, though, it's my understanding that the statute of limitations had expired and he was immune from prosecution. Yes. I mean, he, the the statute of limitations have changed since then where he he may, if it had come out now, I don't, well, no, probably not. It was, it, it passed. But, but now if, if, if you are, if there is credible evidence of, of old sex abuse, people can be charged um, if it involves, you know, a young person. Um, and if they have, you know, proof beyond just an accusation. Um, yeah, I mean. Well, and he actually yeah. confessed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Susan, congratulations. Uh, DM me and I will mail you a weird isn't working bumper sticker. I have another question. Okay. And this is from somebody who doesn't want to be identified. He says, are you and Jennifer planning on voting for any Republican candidates? My question is whether you would actually change the system that you say you want to change and stop voting for Democrats. Absolutely. Would you actually pull the trigger is what he's asking. Yes. I, well, I'm voting for Betsy Johnson for governor who's running as an independent. But um, but there are a few Republican candidates uh, for governor that impress me that if she wasn't in the race, I would vote for Uh, local politics are nonpartisan. So uh, city candidate positions, metro candidate positions are not Republican or Democrat. Uh, But on a national uh, or state level, I would not hesitate. And, And I've I've come to terms with the fact that it is juvenile and stupid to make uh, uh, reproductive rights the line of the sand and to time and time again, not vote for the best candidate because of that one issue. Um, Things have changed uh, in in all kinds of ways, which, you know, we've talked about Caitlin Flanagan did a beautiful uh, story in Atlantic about why we should look at the abortion issue differently today than when it was being litigated in the seventies. So it's such a good article. 
Yeah, my answer is yes, affirmatively yes. And I think that there are millions of other, mostly moms, who would say the same thing now because of what the schools did during COVID. He wants to know what Republican national candidates you like potentially for president. I like uh, Cheney. I like, um, I like. uh, I do too. Is it Lynn Cheney? Lynn Cheney? Liz. Okay. Um, I would absolutely vote for her. I think she would be a great president, especially if the VP was a good choice. Um, But yeah, anybody that's not far right, I would consider at this point. Um, And anybody whose, you know, values align with mine. One of the areas that I disagree with a lot of um, Republicans about uh, is immigration. And I, I think that, um, you know, here and, and in most parts of the country, if, if we did not have the people who are in this country uh, undocumented, it, it would cripple uh, so many industries. These are people who do the jobs that, that Americans won't do. But beyond that, how many, I mean, how many stories do we see of, you know, of a, of a family, of a couple coming here and by the first generation, you know, their kids are all going to college on a full ride scholarship and are going on to be doctors and lawyers and politicians. And, um, you know, if we, if we are allowing Ukrainians in, why are we not allowing people who, ha- who are fleeing gang ridden villages in Central America, South America, Central America, Mexico, uh, where their choice is either for their son to be recruited by the, is it N13, I can't think of the gang, to be forced to go and become a killer with the gang or to be assassinated, or where young girls are forced to either be mules and couriers for the cartels or to be raped and killed. So, you know, why are we not, why are we picking and choosing uh, what type of emergency, you know, necessitates are allowing uh, people to come into this country. So I disagree with Republicans on immigration a lot, I would say. And I think anybody who disagrees with DACA, I just, that to me is really, really upsetting and troubling to me. Because- Making of MS-13 for the yes, gang. M- yes, yes, MS-13. Um, I have a friend who, well, I did not know this and I can't, I didn't know that in Guatemala, people don't speak Spanish. So there's thir- they have 33 different languages in Guatemala. And my friend- I know they have Juan, a lot of indigenous stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. He literally at age 16 walked to the US from Guatemala uh, by, by himself. Well, anyways, he did not speak any Spanish when, when he got to the US at 16 by himself. He got a job as a day lab- laborer right away, five five days six or seven days a week and went to school every night and learned both English and Spanish, speaks fluently both. He's now only like 22 and has his own construction company, is married to an American girl, is a doting father. Um, He is is not uncommon. He is not uncommon. And so I'm getting off track, but um, but yes, to answer your question and DM me and I'll send you a bumper sticker, but I would vote Republican. What about you, Karen? Well, I'm voting for Betsy too. 
as of today, I'm voting for Betsy, who, as you said, is not running as a Democrat, is running as an independent for governor of Oregon. For president, I liked Ron DeSantis until the this most recent speech bill about sexual identity in schools. I just think it's too broad. I think it's too much of a restraint on speech. I don't think it's specific enough. I don't understand why Ron DeSantis didn't just like do some kind of executive order enacting school choice. Why wouldn't he just take all the money funding public schools and send it with the kid like a Pell Grant? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in favor of that. That would solve that, would it not? Yeah. Wouldn't yeah. that solve this parent, um, you know, consternation over sexual identity. There are a lot of young teachers who, who believe that gender is a social construct. I do not believe that. I mean, when you, when you look at, you know, how many adults do you know that say, I truly am a they, I identify as a they, I very few, but yet, this new this generation of kids we've got you know 30 percent of the of the of the kids in portland are they it just doesn't make sense when you look at the percentage of gay and lesbian people before and after um i would say the overwhelming majority of, of americans realized that um you were born gay that everyone should be able to marry that that it, it was no longer an issue i don't think the numbers have changed much I, my my bigger issue is like, our schools suck. Like, why are we spending our time on this? Let's focus on math, writing, English. You know, once you show me that your your numbers are good and that the kids are are at their class grade level, then we can talk about other things to to teach. But I just I I don't want this. You know, and I yes, I absolutely agree that teachers should not feel that they cannot share that they're a gay or lesbian or bisexual or, what, or whatever that is. But I have to stop because I have breaking news. Can I? And, and, oh, yeah. Give it to us. Here first. I just got a message. You're, you're not going to see me for a second. From uh, Bev Barnum. Oh, wow. I'll, I'll share who that is, who just said, I, I finally came out. And I'll, I'll tell your listeners the backstory. But she wrote, I am finally brave enough to stand up for myself. AJ for Portland can't claim to be an advocate for BIPOC people while using her power to harm people of color. Do you endorse bullying, discrimination, and threats of violence? And then she shared a, uh, a thread that uh, where AJ McCreary, who's running for Portland City Council, says all of these repulsive things yeah she's running against dan ryan she's running against dan ryan uh she publicly uh said that she was gonna go whoop bev barnum's ass and invited others to come watch and for those of you who don't know bev barnum is the was the head of wall of moms is she still in that capacity she was forced out. It's been taken by... over. That's right. We discussed this on a different episode. It's been taken over. Yes. But she um, was she was the founder right. of Portland Wall of Moms, is my understanding. And so she's saying that she will not endorse AJ McCreary, who's running for city council against Dan Ryan. Right. And she has been um I, I mean, she was eviscerated. I I mean this so she she started this this organization of 
of moms that went down to the protest riots and would be a shield from the protesters and the police. A lot of them got hurt, legitimately hurt. I mean, I've seen... And I think she was vilified as a white lady, but she... My understanding is she identifies as diverse, actually. She's she's Hispanic, and she grew up in a very um, working-class Hispanic part of California. I happen to know where she's from and have been there. Um, And... She and this woman, Teresa Rayford, who, who after the fact backpedaled, denied that she was part of this, they were working together to make the Wall of Moms a nonprofit. And, uh, but Teresa Rayford totally abandoned her and bailed on her and, and left her out to dry. And so Is she- Is Rayford the one who's now running Wall of Moms? Do you know? No. And they've changed the name. It's not okay. called Wall of Moms anymore. I think- Bev has a separate wall of moms thing, but the original group is something else. I think Rayford is is the head of don't shoot Portland. And so what Bev has said publicly is that all along she conferred and got permission from, uh, from her black counterparts before doing anything because she realized that it was, you know, they were, they were there to defend black lives matter and that it was important that, that there be uh, black representation. The mistake she made is that she allowed any black woman who wanted to, to become a, a moderator or an admin of the group. And she announced, she was so excited. And, sa- and I actually read the whole thread that, that they were officially a 503C nonprofit and they could start doing you know more things to support their cause. And, these women, including AJ McCreary, the things they said publicly on that thread about white women and non-black women and Asian women. And it was, uh, it was, it was like we were talking about earlier, this, you know, why these women's group have all imploded. Um, and I mean, I talked to Bev, I don't know her personally, and she doesn't know who I am. We've just messaged back and forth. She probably has a good idea, but I asked her if she would go on your show and she, without joking, said she would have to talk to her therapist first. She is um, a very well-intended, well-meaning, good person from everything that I've seen that she's said or done or, or really expressed. I, I haven't seen anything that she said or done that I would necessarily think is wrong or mean-spirited or she just seems like a pretty genuine person. Yeah, no, and she told me that, and this broke my heart, that she wished she had been, um, she had been braver at the time, that she wished she hadn't been so insecure and had stood up to this. Um, And can you imagine, can you imagine creating something that gets international attention where, you know, national news is talking about it. Chapters are forming all over the, all over the world with, with this, with this altruistic goal and you have thousands of people and hundreds of women going down there night after night and all of this stuff. And then to be, to be completely ambushed and accused of being a raging racist and then some and have your creation taken away from you. And then to find out that one of the people that was instrumental in doing this to you is running for Portland City Council. Um, so is that, did she screenshot AJ McCreary's yeah. tweets she, or something? She did, a, she did a Twitter post and she included the, um, do you want me to send it to you now? 
sure, let's let's see what AJ said and maybe we can. So again, for those of you who don't know, Bev Barnum is sort of the original founder of the Wall of Moms group here in Portland, Oregon, which was set up to support people of color, particularly black people who were brutalized by the police and who had real legitimate outrage and and claims about police brutality. And she was just setting up this mom's group to support them, is my understanding. And she was forced out of that group. And then AJ McCreary is running for city council against Dan Ryan here in Portland, Oregon. Okay, so according to Bev Barnum's Twitter, she's at Beverly Barnum, B-E-V-E-R-L-E-Y, B-A-R-N-U-M on Twitter. Since July of 2020, my family has received all sorts of horrible threats from deranged mega folks, but I never expected the threats to start coming from someone like AJ for Portland, and that's AJ McCreary's Twitter handle. After all, she's supposed to be a champion for BIPOC people. Don't vote for or empower hatred. She says, Bev says, I'm finally brave enough to stand up for myself. AG for Portland can't claim to be an advocate for BIPOC people while using her power to harm people of color. Do you endorse bullying, discrimination, threats of violence? And it looks like this, she screenshotted what looks like a Twitter feed. Perhaps it's a Facebook feed. I think it's a Twitter feed. It says, it's from Alana Joy, A-L-A-N-N-A Joy, J-O-Y. And my guess is that's A.J. McCreary's, allegedly A.J. McCreary's personal feed um, that Bev is screenshotting. That's my inference. Right. And it says she's, this screenshot says, Alana Joy says, she's still up to her shit. I hate it here. Somebody responds, she crawls. She crawled out of the devil's anus to ruin 2021. AJ says, or Alana Joy says, I'm disgusted. She's really problematic with no goal. And I'm assuming they're talking about Bev here, which is why Bev screenshotted this. She's really problematic with no goal other than to get famous and make money. This person responds and to help her people through immigration reform. Wow. That sounds racist. Right. Right. And Alana Joy responds, that broad needs a dictionary. And a swift ass whooping. Another person says, can we protest at her house? No justice, no peace. Alana Joy says, pick me up. I'm going to make a sign about accountability. This person says, I'm like only half kidding though, LOL. Where was her interview? Would love to leave a reference. I'm not saying, this is really scary. This person, Andrew Tolman writes, I'm not, I don't want to include the details, but basically he says she's readily searchable, gives her name and birth date, her full name and birth date, and says on truepeoplesearch.com, but if she was, that might be stinky for her. Alana Joy says, I don't know where her latest foolery is. Her and I got into it on IG, I think Instagram today. I was furious. She is a monster. Wow, this is really scary. According to AJ, so Bev continues her thread. According to AJ for Portland, I had no right to stand up for human and civil rights. Why? I'm not black. I'm a first generation Mexican American, and she saw that as a problem. I am not the only person she has discriminated against. My hope is that others will come forward. I have more screenshots of bullying, discrimination, and harassment. AJ is not a champion for BIPOC people. Don't let her use political power to hurt and harm 
the progress of those she views as the other. Wow, this is really scary. And there's so another one. Beverly Barnum telling, is being threatened. Yeah, and she's also someone who like send, sends out, you know, hey, white people, time to send reparations. Send money to three black people, you know. You're talking um, about AJ? Yeah, I'm talking about AJ. So so, so the funny thing, so they were in uh, her, she debated with Dan, Dan Ryan this week. City Club did a debate. Of AJ course they, did, yeah. Yeah, of course, they excluded Stephen Cox, who's running as well. And tell us about Stephen. I also got questions from people who didn't want to be identified personally, but many people who said they wanted to support Stephen Cox, who's running against Dan Ryan for Portland City Council and is in the race against Dan Ryan with AJ McCreary and we're endorsing Stephen Cox at this time. And I received a lot of questions about who he is and how you came to know him, Jennifer. Okay. And I mean, I would go to his website, which I think is part of his Twitter handle because there's content information. He desperately needs people to be dropping off the things you put on doors to be going, you know, door to door. He he needs help. He's getting calls from volunteers now, but he doesn't have, you know, this team of people that some of the other candidates have. Um, I don't know him personally. I met him. I saw his, some of his tweets about running and I reached out and asked to have a call. And he has a very um, specific plan to address the homeless crisis, an immediate plan uh, that is doable and it's doable with existing funds. We don't need to tax anybody else. Um, I'm not going to lie. He is very green and he got into the race late, which is why he needs even more support, but he's a pragmatic, a a compassionate pragmatist. That's the way I describe him. And he is ready to get stuff done. And I like that he's an outsider because he's not going to be afraid to vote too. against he's not going to be afraid to vote against uh, another commissioner because they're pals i mean one of the reasons that vadim wouldn't switch to run against dan ryan rather than be competing with renee is that his campaign manager is good friends with dan ryan i mean that's ridiculous and vadim um, is one of the candidates running against joanne hardesty for portland city council along with renee gonzalez and right. vadim and renee are very i think similarly appealing I think right. a lot of people, what you're referring to is it's the general sentiment, I think, here in the city of Portland that a lot of people are going to feel affinity for the same affinity for Vadim that they feel for Renee. And how are they going to pick between one or the other? And there's a lot of concern that they're going to split the vote and that the that Joanne Hardesty may carry the day, even though the polling is against her. The polling is either with Renee or Vadim. And so I think there's some concern that they're going to split. But what you're saying is there was a point in time where Dan Ryan didn't have any serious contenders except AJ McCreary. And the question that a lot of people had, I think because Renee was pulling ahead of Vadim, is that correct? Is that why a lot of people were wondering why Vadim wouldn't just run against Dan Ryan? Yeah. And still is, is still pulling ahead. Um, Okay. And so Renee is pulling ahead of Vadim. And the question was, well, why wouldn't Vadim, who's such a great candidate, just pull out of the Joanne Hardesty race, let Renee win that one and run against Dan Ryan, who's very uh, irrational about this safe rush shelter stuff for homeless people where he wants to erect tents in neighborhoods and things. Why, why wouldn't Vadim just run against Dan Ryan? Because Dan Ryan didn't have any serious contenders at the time. And you're saying Vadim's campaign manager is buddies 
with Dan Ryan. So he wasn't going to pull out and do that. So that's unfortunate. So, so the current race uh, against John Harsty, the, the big contenders are still Rene Gonzalez and Vadim. And I, I don't, he's Ukrainian and he has a, a last name that my idiotic white ass can't pronounce. Do you know what it is? It's, it's close to Zelensky. Okay. So anyway, but his, his first name is Vadim and that's how I tend to refer to him. And I think most people tend to refer to him. And then the race against Dan Ryan is by AJ McCreary, who's very fringe, very fringe left. And as you've seen, uh, allegedly from Bev Barnum on Twitter is, is attacking Bev Barnum believes that she is being attacked by AJ McCreary. And according to Bev Barnum's Twitter, she believes that AJ McCreary does not actually support all BIPOC people. And in fact, is so fringe that she as, as to be unsupportive of BIPOC people and, and Bev Barnum feels like she's really bullying her. And it, if, if Alana Joy is the personal handle for AJ McCreary, it would seem so. And then, of course, we, we have Stephen Cox, who is also running against Dan Ryan and is the logical choice when faced with who you're going to vote for because he is, although green, he is an outsider and he wants to fix this homeless situation. And he does have a plan to do it that doesn't yeah. involve increasing our taxes. No. There, so there are two things that I liked about him. One is that he, from the beginning, said, you know, I, I like to surround myself with people who are smarter than me. And, you know, if I win, um, I'm going to, you know, use the money that I'm allowed to use to hire staff wisely. And I would rather have two senior experienced, you know, policymakers working for me than to have six 25-year-olds who are altruistic, agenda-driven activists, which is what Dan Ryan has. So that was the first thing I liked about him, because if, he, if he's elected, he's going to need some help. And, and that's probably going to entail uh, something similar to what uh, Wheeler's doing with, um, with Sam Adams, which is he needs to hire some consultants. I would do it um, as long as it wasn't a full-time job. Um, and my colleague in my, my uh, efforts, my reform efforts, uh, Vicky, would be an excellent choice to, to serve with him. Um, uh, so, so he has a, a plan, which is to immediately create 27 uh, emergency shelters, all of which, which would cost a total of $27 million, which is well below the funds that are currently available and way below what Dan Ryan's, I mean, D Dan Ryan's proposal ends up being like $55,000 per person, uh, per, you know, per person that goes into a shelter. Um, and he, if you go to his, Stephen's website, uh, he has these, he has done all this research and these shelters would be like what the military sets up when they go into a war zone. So they're easily able to be put up quickly. They're safe. Uh, they're, they're portable. And then his plan is that to repurpose them into 27 community um, centers throughout the, the city, um, where you could have school programs, uh, you could have, you know, uh, Portland parks could use it. Uh, because again, he's saying, we're going to be the parents, this is going to be tough love for those who want to go to shelter, go into a shelter, we're going to provide continual services, wraparound services, from shelter to treatment to housing to whatever, and we're going to stay with you throughout throughout this whole process. 
for those who don't want to go to a shelter, that's fine, but we're going to uh, get your information in a census that we're going to keep that's going to be real time. We're going to give you a, a letter that says, you've been notified on this date that if you are found camping in Portland again, you are going to be arrested and charged with trespass, and then you are going to go to jail. And what people don't realize is that the city has its own ordinances that are criminal ordinances that the city can use and get around Schmidt. If Schmidt doesn't want to prosecute him, the city can. Um, and the city also can mandate uh, their own rules about who's going to stay in custody, uh, who's been charged with the city ordinance. I think in the end, his plan will be far cheaper and more effective because he's also saying that if people do get arrested, if they refuse to comply, if they're service resistant, resistant, that lifeline, that lifeline is going to continue, that we're going to offer you a diversion program in court where you can now start getting treatment and mental health and all of that and get your, your charge dismissed and we'll stay with you and help you get into long-term housing. Um, so, or if you're not ready and six months from now you are, um, but for those who aren't, we're going to make it very um, un, uh, unfavorable uh, unpleasant for you to stay in Portland, especially if you're not from here. You know, we're, 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 the word's going to get out that if you come here, you're not going to be able to live on the streets and uh, you're going to go to jail if you try it. That's, that, it's a tough love approach. Um, and Stephen Cox's website is Stephen Cox, S-T-E-V-E-N-C-O-X, number four, Stephen Cox four, pdx.com and it's the number four so Stephen cox s-t-e-v-e-n-c-o-x for pdx.com is his website you can also find him on twitter and he seems very responsive if you tag him in tweets uh i don't know about direct messages but it looks like his direct messages are open and you can find him at Stephen cox for pdx s-t-e-v-e-n-c-o-x-f-o-r-p-d-x on twitter and he says, our priorities are clear. Reclaim our streets, parks, and sidewalks so the world will know us as the Rose City again. With your vote, we can. So and find him need, on Twitter. Yeah. Follow him. Yeah. And, and, and be telling your more left-leaning friends, colleagues, family about him. Because he's being kept out of all of these debates. The media isn't interviewing him. They're doing the same thing to Shariah on the county side. Um, and this is truly grassroots at its at its you know, best definition. So Twitter is where he is starting to really get momentum. And so we need this constantly to be happening, especially once the voter pamphlet comes out in a few weeks. Um, the other thing I'm very concerned about, I, I just got word today that AJ's um, campaign is violating the rules. You're not supposed to put campaign uh, uh, yard signs um, in on businesses or government properties or on the street. They're all over North and Northeast Portland. And she's articulate and presents well. And she comes across as this, you know, compassionate. She comes executive. across as moderate. Yeah. Well, in, but thankfully she tells the truth when she's pushed. Um, and she is against uh, sweeping camps. She truly believes that people should get to go from a tent into an apartment um, with no questions asked. Uh, she she's a housing a, first proponent. Yes. She does not. She no does barrier. Not support she nope. She does not support diverting funds to shelter um, shelters rather than um, uh, housing. She is as anti police as anyone I've ever heard in a city club debate, and I listened to it this week. You can go back and find it on YouTube. Um, she said 
absolutely no to more funding for police. She wants to defund the police. She said publicly that- This is A.J. McCreary, who's running for Portland City Council, everybody. Yep. That that the police are rooted in enslaving people. She talked about uh, rich white people in a totally derogatory way. She clearly- uh, has a victim mentality. She loves to talk about how she's a single mom and how she didn't uh, school her child because Portland uh, public schools is racist. So she's let her child learn however he wants to learn. And this is the best part. Okay, this kid's a teenager. I have a teenager. So I know why this is bullshit. So at the end of the debate, uh, the moderator asked, gave them both a question that they could ask the, the opponent. And Dan Ryan's question, smartly so, was, uh, AJ, I would, I would like to have tea with you on April something. Would you join me for tea so we can get to know each other more? And she was caught off guard uh, and uh, looked kind of panicky and said, um, well, I'll have to talk to my child because, you know, he may expect, you know, to do something with me that day. And it was the most ridiculous thing. Like any, any parent of a teenager knows that, uh, it's unlikely that you need to check with your child if you make plans because they're so desperate to be with you. And this was like middle of the day on a work, on a work day that he wanted to have tea. So she clearly doesn't Which I think as much as I don't think he's a good city councilor, I'm I have no reason to believe he's a bad person. Yeah. In fact, I think he's probably a good person with good yeah. intentions and I think that that's a very cool professional question to ask your opponent. Yeah. Right. I, I, and I agree. And I thought that was a lovely thing for him to have done. And um, uh, I mean, this is a, a woman who, who, who believes that we should be taxing more uh, of our wealthy and giving more money and more things to uh, the communities that she wants. Um, I well, be- she believes in, I, my understanding is that she believes in wealth redistribution. Oh, I'm sure that she believes in wealth redistribution. Um she has no, but more so, she is not remotely qualified to oversee hundreds of employees, millions of dollars, to be making decisions that involve complex economic uh, policy issues, uh, to be making decisions that will impact Portland 30 years from now. She, It, it would be like making a college intern the head of the city. It's just preposterous. Well, and um, if the listeners want to know more about her, and I encourage you all to do this, go to the Google your neighborhood black friends. YNBfriends.com is the website. But August 3rd, and I don't know, it doesn't say the year. August 3rd, she was on a show called Your Neighborhood Black Friends. And there's actually a transcript from the show of A.J. McCreary's appearance. And I encourage everybody to Google A.J. McCreary and Your Neighborhood Black Friends and pull up the August 3rd show that she was on and the transcript that she was on if you really want to get to know her because she's very candid on that show. And that was prior to her, I believe, my understanding is it was prior to her official run for city council. And so she's just very relaxed and unguarded with her answers. And if you want to get to know her more and understand what she's about, scroll through that transcript. I've definitely been through it. And I think you've looked at it, right, Jennifer? And I just found it. Frankly, I found the idea that she could be having a say about anything in the city pretty scary after reading it. 
I, I can't imagine that Portland and the and the type of people that typically that that pollsters show that come out to vote in primaries are are going to vote for more of the same. I mean, she is more to the left than Hardesty, who she endorses and supports, by the way. So she thinks Hardesty is doing a great job. If that tells you anything about McCreary, um, so I, you know, most of your listeners who are in Portland, I, it's a no brainer. I know they're not going to vote for them, but we really need you to make sure that everybody knows. And I do, can I just take a second to announce our new project? Please. So we decided as a group of us that didn't know each other from, from outside of being online, we created a nonpartisan group and we're called the Portland Party. And if you go to portlandparty.org, you can sign up for our future newsletters. It's not done yet, so it's, it's bare bones, but we're also on Twitter the Portland party. So we would love it if you would like and share uh, that too. My counterpart's probably worried about me talking about it because she thinks that people are going to view me as being far right because she's more left than I am. Uh, But, um, but anyways, the plan big picture is to be a, a one shop source of knowledge for you know, moderate, normal people to turn when these local elections are happening. Because I got to be honest with you, Karen, until uh, the homeless problem got out of control and the city was really starting to decline, I wasn't paying attention to our city candidates and all. I didn't know who was what and what, you know, what bond measures were what and what they meant and what, you know, all of that. So we're going to be that for you because you can't trust the media. The media is so biased. The media picks and chooses the candidates they profile. They endorse not the candidates who the majority of pollsters uh, agree with, which is crazy because that's usually what uh, newspapers do. They endorse the candidates that they agree with. So I wouldn't be surprised if Willamette Week endorses A.J. McCreary, which is why the Portland party is so necessary. So once we get going, we're going to have try to get some media attention about it. We're on all the social media pages. My counterpart, Vicki, is amazing. She's done all of the work I can take very little credit for, but um, but that's that. So Dan Ryan, uh, I've suffered through, as as you all know, two, two uh, more than that now, probably four different town halls or, or, um, uh, or debates. Not a single Safe Rest Village is up and running. The one on NATO, NATO is still- Which is just- good. Yes, because yeah. he wanted to put all of these no zero barrier, right? Basically, tent cities in in neighborhoods, and he kept saying it wouldn't be tents. But if you look at that one that the city erected right by OMSI, mm-hmm. they, I mean, they're basically plywood lean tos with tent coverings on them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not talking about a cute little tiny house mobile home park. That's not no. what this is. No. And the, and if you take a look at that area, again, that's right by OMSI, this, it's an unsightly, very, very scary, dangerous looking mess. And this is the kind of thing he was proposing. And in fact, the nonprofit that was going to run one of those shelters bowed out because it read the ordinance thanks to a listener who listened to the podcast, learned about what the ordinance actually said, and contacted this nonprofit. And the nonprofit read the ordinance and realized, I can't keep these people safe because there's no barriers to entry 
to these safe rest shelters. So none of them have actually been erected. And isn't that part of why Mayor Wheeler declared that you educated me about this, Jennifer? Isn't that part of why Mayor Wheeler declared the state of emergency and started cleaning up all these camps, homeless camps, because he took it out of the purview of Ryan? Yes. So there is a provision in the current charter that allows the mayor to supersede, uh, I don't know if that's the right word, uh, another commissioner's area um, and take over. And so shortly after, Mayor Wheeler, this is how out of touch she is and how by the fact that they worked remotely for two years, he clearly was asleep at the wheel and not paying Aren't any Aren't they attention. still remote? They're still City remote. employees are still remote. It's just, it's embarrassing. So one of the news stations finally did a, did a short, a, a brief uh, story about it. Thank God. Um, but he, so he, he basically was shocked, according to insiders, to find out uh, how like 8% of Portland likely voters would vote for uh, Ryan and Hardesty again, and how now eight, only 8% of Portland thinks that Portland is doing okay. And Ego got the best of them, thankfully. I guess Ego is the only way to get him to act. So we all, in my group, all sent hundreds of emails thanking him and, and uh, congratulating him and telling him what a genius he was so that he would ignore the fringe who all oppose his plan. That's why he's taking over and sweeping uh, camps. And uh, it's it's starting to get better. And you know what? We don't need to know all the details. I mean, think about it. Since he's take, taken over, um, he's not sending press releases to the media ahead of time when a camp's going to be cleared. People are just waking up one day and the camps are gone. Um, and so now that the election's coming around, all these candidates are realizing, oh, I better start doing what the voters want. And now, of course, uh, Metro and the city are in are having in a, quote, emergency meeting in like 10 days, right? Because when it's an emergency, you wait 10 days to reevaluate using part of the Expo Center's parking lot as um, a place where RVs and cars can, can camp, uh, can live, can camp, whatever. But here's the kicker. Um, the issue is that Dan Ryan wants the area paved and Metro won't pay for it. Why do we have to pay? Why, why can't it just be a gravel parking lot? Like we, we all have to park on gravel parking lots when we go to the country fair or we go to the whatever. Why, why is that not good enough for, for this community? So uh, I doubt anything's going to come of it. They just want to look like they're doing something before the election. Best believe everybody, all of the existing um politicians in all of the different jurisdictions have epically failed us on this issue. They are all responsible for this mess, not just the city. And have failed the homeless. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Most the people they profess to care the most about, the people who are literally the most vulnerable and most downtrodden in this equation have are the ones that have been failed the most by people like Dan Ryan and, and Mayor Wheeler and Joanne Hardesty, frankly. That's the other thing I like about Stephen is that he is talking more about using the existing civil commitment laws we have, which clearly the criteria fits for a huge percentage of the people we're seeing on the streets because it is, are you a dan- immediate danger to yourself or others and not able to take care of your basic hygiene functions? Well, duh. I mean, when you see a guy running after a woman with a metal pipe, half naked, they are a danger to themselves and to others. So why are we not civilly committing people? Um, Shariah Mayfield is also interested in that. We're going to 
have a, if it's not uploaded already, it will be uploaded soon, a podcast with her. She came on the show and she's also very interested in engaging, like forget conservatorship laws, which will be, I think, harder to go against the dominant narrative in Portland that we should do those and harder to fight with the ACLU about. You can actually use these laws on the books that we currently have to try to assist people who are a danger to themselves and others. And a lot of these people in in tents, I I think you could argue all the people in tents are a danger to themselves because they can't take care of a basic need, which is, is shelter. And I know an argument is, well, that's because shelters are dirty and, and disgusting and they don't want to use the shelter. You know, I, I've said this before. I, w- I work with a lot of these shelters personally and in a legal capacity. These are nice places. They're not dirty places. They're, the issue is people don't want to use them because there are barriers to entry and there are rules that you have to follow. And I absolutely understand that they are not useful to addicts. I get that. If you're, if you're kicking you would be required to kick if you if you want to go into one of these places because they don't allow drugs and things and there are barriers to entry. And I agree that that's an absolute issue. We have got to make treatment more accessible to people. If you want a bed, you should be able to get it and you should be able to medically detox. That's so right. It's, it is tricky. But the point is there are laws that are in place that allow us to, to go through, that allow officials to use the system that we already have to assist people who are a danger to themselves and others. And Stephen yep. Cox and Sherry Mayfield are interested in that. There's another question, or there, this is also from Met in the middle on Twitter. Uh, how badly of drugs, I think this dovetails into what we were just discussing, how badly of drugs riddled our homeless population and what can be done to address drug use when we don't want to prosecute, commit, or ban? Yes, I mean, there's so I guess the answer is some of us do want to engage in civil commitment processes, and that would be Stephen Cox, who's running against Dan Ryan for city council, and Sharia Mayfield, who is running for Multnomah County chair against, uh, I would say the front runner is probably Jessica Vega Peterson. Who is, who is the worst? We cannot, like, every, a, AJ and Jessica Peterson are the same, are of the same ilk, uh, if that tells you anything. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not that complicated. I mean, it's basically, first, we need way more outside auditing and transparent, transparency about how all of this money is being, spending, being spent. One thing the Portland party is in the process of doing, we're making, special, we're making public records requests to the city, uh, getting the information about all of the nonprofits who the city contracts with, what the terms of their contract are, what they're contracting to do, what the scope of their work is, what, if any, oversight the city has once they award $10 million to a contractor to see that they're actually doing what they're supposed to be doing and showing this machine of nonprofits that are benefiting financially from uh, the homeless crisis and are have a conflict of interest. And so that's who the media is going to interview about. How do you feel about Wheeler's plan? Well, when it's a nonprofit who's getting money to basically maintain the status quo, why would they be in, in support of the plan? Um, most homeless that are interviewed by Schellenberger uh, that I've seen in Portland. And that's say, Michael Schellenberger, who's running for office in California and wrote a great book about the homeless crisis called San Francisco. Yeah, he's fantastic. Um, 
if you if you take the time to talk to someone on the streets, they will tell you that the activists just uh, enable them and use them as props. That they're not doing anything for them. Um, but again, Oregonians or Portlanders are thinking, oh my God, the majority of Portland has lost their minds. They don't think we should do anything about these camps. Not true at all. It's just the biased media is uh, is misconstruing what the silent majority wants because they're choosing to ignore the rest of us and not ask us what we think. And that's that's what the hope of the PortlandParty.org is, is that uh, stop listening to what the media says. I mean, the two reporters for Willamette Week and uh, and the Oregonian are young, altruistic uh, women. And, you know, I had a very different view of the world when my parents were still paying my car insurance. You know what I'm saying? Um, yes, absolutely. So I, I don't, I mean, I, I've stopped getting mad reading article after article from Sophie Peel, or I can't think of the woman for the Oregonian, where it's an issue about the homeless crisis. And the only person they interview is a homeless activist. It's just, you know, like the people that set up this bullshit in the North Park blocks, who they're in part of their mission. mission and that statement. was a rabbi, wasn't it? Yeah, this rabbi, who, by the so way. So they cleared the camps and the North Park blocks in the. Portland, where sort of Chinatown meets the Pearl District, is, right. isn't that right? And they, a rabbi re, or didn't re-erect, but a rabbi erected a bunch of her, had an organization that erected a bunch of their own tents for people? They, they argued that a law existed which allowed clergy to use public land to put, uh, to, to house uh, homeless people, which is not true. The law never passed. It doesn't exist. And uh, so she used she used her position as a rabbi to have this fringe nut job organization show up in the North Park blocks, where, by the way, there is an elementary school located, um, and and set up tents. And I sent as you there know, are preschools, daycare centers. Yeah. People trying to just work and and pay their taxes and live. There's there's lots of condo buildings over there. There's people just trying to survive and live their own life. Yep. Uh, so I sent her what I thought was a very personal, thoughtful email explaining what I do for a living and how I think I have a unique perspective and what it's like as a woman to work near a park where there are homeless tents and how terrifying it is. And that I would ask her to you know think about this from a different lens. She replied with a one sentence condescending, uh, well, I, I don't agree with you. And then said, take me off your mailing list. So I don't even know if she read my email because I, I don't have a mailing list. It was just an email. Um, she is, her reputation speaks for herself. She, she doesn't, she does not rep represent the Jewish community as a whole. She and you're her, Jewish. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just want to make sure our listeners know we're not in, Jennifer is not engaged in some kind of anti-Semitic no. rant against a rabbi here. Jennifer herself is a very Jewish person. You wouldn't, could we even describe you as a, as a Zionist in, in the lane of Barry Weiss? Yeah. As that term is used? Yeah. Yeah. And she, I mean, she would know by my name that I was Jewish. She, she knows who my parents are. So, I mean, it wasn't like, um, she, she doesn't know that. Um, but, and she's so proud of herself. She thinks, you know, she, she thinks that, this is such a genius idea to do, to, to, to do this to the, to the small business owners and the kids who go to school in this area. Um, and, and this is how 
I first got involved in the homeless issue was when I think I shared earlier on another episode that a very successful friend of mine owns a company that's located in the North Park blocks, very liberal, much more progressive than I am, and is on the board of Central City Concern, puts her money where her mouth is, gives tens of thousands of millions of dollars to good causes. And um, her, her employees were afraid to go to work because people were having sex in the entryway, shooting up. So she's in the media industry and she made a professional uh, film documenting a day in the life in that area and sent it to the mayor. And because she has so much clout, she was immediately invited to this meeting with then Mayor Hales and the city commissioners and asked me to join. Uh, and that was very eye-opening because that's where I met a then deputy police chief, Bob Day, really good guy. He's retired now, who told us like the inside truth about what was really going on and why nothing was getting done and how Sam Adams was just a, a moron about the Occupy movement and, and wouldn't let the police, you know, come in and break that down. So that's how I first got involved. So that area has been very hard hit by this problem. But I want to talk about the other race, which is briefly, because obviously, I'm not, the concern is that it will still be a runoff because Renee and Vadim are going to split the vote. I don't know how to get around that at this point. But I will say that Rubio, who's going to be up for election, if it's, if it's a year from now or two years from now, I think it's two, she is as bad as Hardesty. She just doesn't work very hard and doesn't uh, come out and talk to her constituents or the public. But I assure you, we want her gone. Talking about Stephen Cox and Vadim, I mean, that's important because if, if one or both of them don't win, we need candidates like that to run against Rubio. And so getting that name recognition and getting, you know, getting Stephen's message and his platform out there there will be other opportunities if if he doesn't win because he did get started late and and uh, AJ and Dan are well funded. Whatever you do, do not vote for AJ McCreary. Whatever you do, do not vote for Joanne Hardesty. Uh, do not sign the ballot that allocates additional taxes to fund defense lawyers for tenants um, or yeah, uh, civil defense lawyers for tenants. If that ballot gets on uh, gets on gets enough signatures, vote no on that for sure. Um, vote no basically on anything that would increase our taxes because we need to send a message to City Hall, to Metro, to the county that we're done. We're done bleeding money. We get dinged as small business owners with an additional Multnomah County tax that that, that Washington County and, and Cla Don't forget the corporate activity tax, right. the cat tax. It, that was a statewide tax. Right. Um, we, we need to say no to all of these measures. The preschool tax, um, the homeless tax. So what, one of the things I was going to ask everybody is if any of you are good at this, at public records requests or doing research or have inside info about uh, this nonprofit machine with the city and giving, getting us info on how much money uh, our taxes are going to or the nonprofits that are not qualified that are getting awards because Hardesty is friends with them, please message me. Um, I, that would really help. I need some help with this because it's a big job to take on. And I don't know what kind of pushback I'm going to get from the city. I have a feeling they're going to tell me it's going to be $1,000 for these records because they sent a follow-up question asking for more details about who I am and why I'm asking for this information. Um, but, uh, but, and for those of you who don't know, Jennifer, it, you can find her DMs, her direct message 
and her her account if you want to contact her on twitter at pdxmot pdxmot that would be excellent because unfortunately there's not nothing on that city website that i can find which is pathetic i mean aren't cities typically supposed to have that information readily available about you know you'd think that they would one thing that i did learn on portland.gov is that all city elected officials are elected at large on a nonpartisan basis and serve four-year terms. So Rubio will be up in 2024. Okay. I do for re-election. Wanna, I, I do want to touch on what the people for Portland, not people for Portland, what the Charter Commission, who, by the way, this is my Dan. My, my, and Vadim is on the Charter Commission. Yes, he is. And he also is on the Police Oversight Commission where two of Hardesty's pals tried to get him kicked off and affect his campaign by accusing him of racism for doing absolutely nothing wrong, but disagreeing on an issue uh, that involved uh, the commission. Uh, There was nothing remotely racist about it. uh, But apparently now, according to Hardesty, AJ McCreary, and these women uh, on that commission, if you feel like someone's racist, then what they say is racist. That's that's basically what they're saying. So if I get a vibe, you know, that someone sees my Star of David, and I just get a vibe that they probably don't like Jews, guess what? They're anti-Semites, according to A.J. McCreary and her ilk. Uh, th- that's, what, that, that's who's being appointed and paid by the city to do things. So the Charter Commission, uh, one of the women who tried to get Vadim uh, kicked off. The other commission is also on the charter commission. Well, and hen- is that Shania Pomerantz or Candace Avalos? So I'm looking at a Willamette Week article. It's called Responding to Allegations of Racism. City Council Candidate Files Complaint Against Two Fellow Members of Citizen Review Committee. Vadim, oh, here's his last name. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Vadim Mazirsky, who is challenging Commissioner Joanne Hardesty, accuses two women one black and one black and Latina of a quote-unquote smear campaign. This was March 6th, 2022. Vadim Mazirsky, the text reads, who was challenging incumbent city commissioner Joanne Hardesty in the May primary, filed a complaint March 4th with the city attorney's office claiming two women who serve with him on the police citizen review committee used the committee to politically smear him. Specifically, he's taking aim at fellow committee member Shania Pomerantz, a black woman who accuses Mazirsky, who is white, of using, quote, a tone of anti-blackness, unquote. In emails to her and the committee's chair, Candace Avalos, Pomerantz did so in a March 2nd phone call to Mazirsky, in which she says she told him, quote, the aggression you exhibited towards Candace is both unprofessional and has a tone of anti-blackness, unquote. In that call, she asked him to resign. Mazirsky also recalls her saying that to him and told her he would not resign. That evening, Pomerantz, the executive director of Race Talks, an organization that facilitates interracial discussions about social justice, recounted the conversation with Mazirsky to the larger citizen review committee in a video call and also said she thought Mazirsky should resign because he was running a campaign focused on community safety and serving on a committee that helps craft police policy. There is no rule in the Portland City Charter against serving on a volunteer committee while running for public office. For her part, Avalos, who is Black and Latina, and the executive director of environmental nonprofit Verde, says the committee has the right to raise the question of Mazirsky seeking office while advising on public policy, police policy. Mazirsky, who is Jewish, says the allegations of racism and conflicts are not true and are intended to undermine his campaign for city council. Pomerantz is also Jewish. 
I know when dirty politics crosses the line, Mazirsky, a first-generation Ukrainian-American man, an administrative law judge said in a Friday press conference. That line was crossed on Wednesday night when two vocal supporters of my political opponent in their official capacity as chair and vice chair accused me of being anti-black and a white supremacist. Yeah, because everybody's a white supremacist these days. The good thing about that is that the tide is turning because a year ago, he probably would have been kicked off the commission and his campaign would have been seriously damaged. I think people are finally starting to wake up to this nonsense and seeing it for what it is. I'm just checking to see which one of those ladies is on the charter commission. So the head of that charter commission is extremely woke. Candace Avalos, who was mentioned in the article. Okay, yeah. So if I'm not mistaken, Candace, who said that they should question him running, I believe ran previously for city council and lost. Um, They're all part of that hardesty group of women that are extremely divisive. They make everything about It does look like Candace Avalos ran for Portland City Council in 2020. It does look like that. And she's the one who the Willamette Week article mentioned was the executive director for Verde. Yeah. So they have proposed changes. Some of them are good. We have to wait and see, though. The, the reason that the charter, char, a charter reform has never passed in Portland is because it's always been an all-or-nothing ballot where we either had to vote on everything or, or it didn't pass. And one of the proposals they have is to do this rank form voting and to have even more city council members which was which would be a recipe for for disaster what that would mean is if we had that system in place now aj mccreary would automatically win most of the the only people that would benefit would be fringe activists because we already can't get qualified moderate people to run because nobody wants antifa showing up at their door so the only people that do run are the friends of antifa like mccreary and that's who our city council would become so if uh, the city attorney comes back and says it should be an all or nothing uh, ballot, unfortunately, then I have to recommend a hard no on on that. And Hmm. I would hope that that's not going to be the case. It would be asinine to do that. But the last thing we need is more of these unqualified, incompetent people uh, running our city and making decisions about tens of millions of dollars. And I have another question from a listener. Do you believe that drug use in and of itself should be treated as a crime? This is a listener wishes to not be identified. I don't know how you feel, Jennifer. I I think although people like my sister, who's homeless and an opioid addict, have cleaned up in jail, I do think jail is a pretty lousy place to get clean, and I don't think that drug use should be treated as a crime. I think those lessons have come across loud and clear from the failed war on drugs. But in rejecting the politics of mass incarceration, we've also, at least in Portland, we have, well, in Oregon generally, in decriminalizing drugs and just refusing to enforce any laws whatsoever, we have thrown out the very idea of coercion. And without that, I think we're empty-handed in the struggle against addiction and the rampant crime it engenders. How do you feel, Jennifer? Well, I mean, somebody's selling those drugs to people and uh, and doing so, uh, you know, 
out in the in the streets. I mean, I've heard multiple stories of people driving by, you know, a long line of people on on like a busy downtown crosswalk, and a guy, you know, with a big thing of individual baggies in front of him, in selling one at a time. So, I mean, I think there are there are laws that we can enforce without um, without putting people uh, in jail for being addicts. But again. I think this goes back to uh, uh, a tough love uh, consequences and rewards uh, process. Most people who who are clean, who were in the system, w- will tell you that if not for consequences um, with opportunities to get help, they would have died on the streets. And so um, there has to be a compromise. I mean, and, and one of the ways that we can do that is if, if we make uh, camping and illegal RV camping and all of that stuff, if that disappears, um, it's going to be an unpopular city for people to stay in and, and use drugs. The reason that people aren't doing this in Dallas, Texas, is because Dallas, Texas won't tolerate it. So we need to reopen these alternative court programs like Stop Court, Mental Health Court, uh, that were very successful. They were models for other uh counties and states all over the country. Um, we, we need to enforce the law and end all public sleeping, camping, et cetera. And I think a lot of this will take care of itself. Um, I don't know what we can do about this new variant of meth uh, and how cheaply it's accessible. But what we can do is make it unpopular and unfriendly for people to continue doing this on the streets and destroying businesses, uh, especially since most of them are, are not from Portland. I know the activists push back on that. I don't care what they say. I know that most of the people we're seeing in tents uh, came here uh, from other cities homeless. That I do know. Um, I feel Tell like there us was... again how you know that. I think we talked about it, but I just, to the extent I get questions about that, can you tell us how you know that? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a criminal defense attorney. My beautiful, amazing clients, many of whom have come out on the other side um, and have been sober for a long time and are doing amazing things for our communities uh, and would be the first people to say to you, everyone, anyone you see living on the tent is a raging service resistant addict and they need, they need tough love, you know? We, we have to start making it uh, to discouraging people from coming to Portland for this reason. Uh, so that they can live on the streets and get access to cheap drugs and not have to worry about the law enforcing any of this. Um, that, that's really the, the kicker. And, and we, have to, we have to give options that are humane and that allow for people to come out on the other side uh, while enforcing the law and uh, protecting the interests of the rest of us. And if anyone thinks that makes me a right-wing fringe Republican... I, I don't know what to what to say to people. I, I I think anybody who would have said that five years ago would have been considered a progressive. Um, and I'm not going to apologize for that. I I I I cannot continue to live in a city that has become what it is. Uh, we were just you know out of town. Uh, we were in Mexico. I was in California. There were no tents anywhere. Uh, I I felt safe everywhere I went. Um, we have normalized this, Karen. That's the problem. Is that we have normalized this. We have normalized what the media is doing. We have normalized that activists are getting all the attention. We have normalized that hardworking, tax-paying homeowners are considered 
bad people by nature of earning a certain amount of money. <laughs> um, and we have to stop it. And, and we stop it with who we elect, regardless of whether this charter gets changed. We can do things now by voting out uh, Ryan and voting out Hardesty and voting in Cox um, and, in my opinion, Rene Gonzalez. And then for, Metro, for Multnomah County, we vote in Sharia, which means that Sharon Mirren would stay in her position and be an ally with, um, with Sharia, an outsider who would be more comfortable taking a hard line in getting uh, the county to take some responsibility for this. Um, I, I like what, that one of your listeners mentioned, mentioned East County and uh, Gresham because, man, talk about being ignored. When do you ever hear politicians addressing the problems that are going on in that area? Uh, parts of the Springwater Corridor, uh, there are places uh, in East County that have unprecedented homeless camps. Um, well, and you'd think there'd be more attention paid to East County given that, as Lionel Irving said, on one of our episodes here on the podcast, he's a black person who lives in in the city of Portland. He's on the the COG, the commission that is tasked with reducing gun violence, the community commission. And oh, yeah. he said the black community is now in East County. That's where they are. And you'd think that the city of Portland, with all their professions about how much they love the black community, would be interested in and engaging East County. Yeah, you'd think you'd think the same people that are responsible for a healthy grocery store, Trader Joe's, not going in to uh, a North Portland location would be uh, focusing on the... I don't know about that. What's that story? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They shot... There was a North Portland... There was a Trader Joe's that, was, that wanted to go in on MLK, and there were activists that opposed it. I for reasons I don't understand, and they killed it. And you can't swing a cat without hitting a story about healthy food disparities between black neighborhoods and white neighborhoods, low socioeconomic neighborhoods, high socioeconomic neighborhoods, food deserts is actually what they call oh, them. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, we, that's just we, mind-blowing we, that they would oppose that. We volunteer for a great organization called, it's called the Black Community of Portland, run by this superstar kid. I mean, he, I don't even think he's 30 yet. Um, I think they're in a hi hiatus right now, but my husband, more than me, um, w was delivering food boxes every Saturday for months. And what was, I mean, scented toilet paper was what they were getting. Have you smelled scented toilet paper? It is disgusting. And, and it smelled up our whole car where our daughter was like, I can't, I'm gagging. Like it's gross. It's, it's, and, and really unhealthy food, really unhealthy food. And that's not an indictment on that organization by any means. Um, it's, you get what you can get. And so why, why they would, why, why they would kill a Trader Joe's, uh, which has a reputation of, of hiring a good diversity hires. They, they pay their people. Well, I, I have no idea. Um, was there any explanation as to why I feel like there was, and I can't remember, but it was something to do about equity, but I will, I mean, I will tell you, I mean, most of the homicides are happening in East County. Most of the gang uh, detectives are based out there now. Gentrification, unfortunately, absolutely did force uh, the black community out of the inner city. Um, and in, Oh my in gosh, I have it. It was in the Atlantic. It was in the mm. Atlantic. 
August 16th, 2016, when a grocery store means gentrification. It's this, So this is in the Atlantic. Alana's recent piece, it starts, this article starts, on the racist history of Portland, Oregon. My hometown cites a controversy that I remember. One incident captures how residents are failing to hear one another or have any sympathy for one another. In 2014, Trader Joe's was in negotiation to open up a new store in Albina, which is, as Jennifer was saying, in North Portland and this was historically black neighborhood. The Portland's Development Commission, City's Urban Renewal Agency, offered the company a steep discount on a patch of land to entice them to seal the deal. But the Portland African-American Leadership Forum wrote a letter protesting the development, arguing that the Trader Joe's was the latest attempt to profit from the displacement of African-Americans in the city. By spending money incentivizing Trader Joe's to locate in the area, the city was creating further gentrification without working to help locals stay in the neighborhood, the group argued. Trader Joe's pulled out of the plan and people in Portland and across the country scorned the black community for opposing the retailer. Local historians say that during that incident, critics of African-American community failed to take into account the history of Albina, which saw black families and businesses displaced again and again when whites wanted to move in. A reader pushes back with a little more background. In this particular case, apparently this reader wrote in to the Atlantic, that was a local black developer who had long been very active in the Albina neighborhood community who had gone through quite a lengthy negotiating process to develop that piece of land. That piece of land, by the way, was a large undeveloped brownfield that sits along a primary commercial corridor that had been vacant for over a decade, and it still sits there. I don't, I don't know if it still does to this day, but this was in 2016. It was still sitting there, fenced off and growing weeds. There was no notable neighborhood opposition to the Trader Joe's development until the Portland African American Leadership Forum, a group virtually unheard of in the community until they challenged the TJ's development. There you go. So does that ring a yeah. bell? And, yeah, there And it I is. will tell you, and the name is escaping me, but um, one of the largest construction companies in the state that gets a good amount of the big state funded projects uh, is a black owned company. And I think that's the company they're referring to. They, they built, it's a big housing development in, on the West side. It's the second largest in the state. Um, but anyways, I'm sure that's who they're referring to. So this was a, this was a well-intentioned, thoughtful process that was, you know, I would, I would argue in most cities, they would, they would look at this and say, wow, they went above and beyond from a you know good neighbor uh, perspective and wanting to be respectful of the history of, of uh, that area. Uh, nothing else is happening. I don't think that's lot, that lot's been developed Well, since. and according to this 2016 Atlantic article, it actually, I'm so proud of myself, it actually uses the phrase food desert. And it says oh. that intersection where the Trader Joe's was supposed to go was the heart of the food desert with a significant number of low-income residents living more than a half mile from the nearest supermarket. That food desert data makes this particular case of a supermarket being shut out feel like a loss. Yes, it does. The unfortunate reality of gentrification is that a lot of Black families ended up being priced out of that neighborhood. There is still a very large African-American community in that area I don't know why they would shoot themselves in the foot like that. And then again, this is so Portland, allow some group that no one's ever heard of to shut down the whole thing. I, I, it's just, it's, it's mind numbing. And the other thing that the left has to understand is that giving tax breaks to businesses, it's a sound economic decision in the big picture of what it brings into those areas. And it's how the world works. I'm sorry, but 
that started a long time ago, and it's not going to stop because of these 20-year-old activists. Businesses get tax breaks when they're going to move into an area, bring with them hundreds of jobs, uh, and help the economy. Just how it works. Um, but again, why do we have all these city government-run entities like Prosper Portland? Why is everything like socialized in Portland with the city? Like OLCC, you know, the government runs our booze, the government runs our weed, the government runs uh, business development. It just seems odd to me. And it's such a strange contradiction because yet Portland is such a libertarian place. We have no fluoride in our water. We don't have any real zoning. That's why there's so many strip clubs per capita. Pre-COVID, we had very liberal vaccination exemptions. Very liberal. I mean, you, you could very easily find a fringy left person. In fact, there were many of them who would protest at the Capitol regularly. Jenny McCarthy-style devotees of vaccine exemptions. And, you know, my brothers-in-law who were doctors were seeing whooping cough coming back because there were so, so many unvaccinated kids going to Portland Public School. So it's just a strange contradiction of government overreach and then also this need to get rid of government when it when we feel it suits us just all together get legalize let's not legalize let's decriminalize all drugs in the state that's a great example of our libertarian leanings let's allow antifa to control the city of portland yeah well and and guess who's killed uh any ballot proposals in the past to privatize liquor you want to know who i don't know the uh the education unions, because they're worried that the money will, uh, because what the pr private industry is proposing is instead of uh, the state getting the proceeds of liquor sales, that we tax the grocery stores and the businesses who sell it privately, and that money will go back to the state. But the Oregon Education Association is who fought the ballot, like who challenged it in court. Uh, because because they they're afraid that that means less money for for their schools. Well, really for their teachers. Um, so that's who's killed that ballot in the past, and probably will be successful this time around. Well, and in another example of con contradictory nature of Oregon politics, all the people who you know we have these people who I think are rightfully calling out the hypocrisy of people like Tina Kotek, who's running for governor and Kate Brown, our current governor, saying that we need, now Betsy Johnson is against mandates, but Kotech and Brown are saying we need these vaccine mandates, and at the same time denouncing states that are making abortion more and more difficult. And so people in Oregon, I've noticed, who are skeptical of the COVID vaccine and who are against vaccine mandates particularly COVID vaccine mandates, which I think, I think the COVID vaccine, I think most reasonable people would agree the COVID vaccine is pretty different from a lot of other vaccines that we've had in the past, such as polio or whooping cough or, or rubella or something, or RSV, but even the flu. But people who are against the COVID vaccine are saying, well, wait a minute, Kate and Tina, you're telling me that you want the government to stay out of your bodies, but you want to inject me with a COVID vaccine. And in fact, you will do it. You're going to ram that through. I mean, I think that's, I think it was 
I think it was Lisa Reynolds that they were quoting on Twitter, who's a current state representative who was saying, we don't care what you guys want. We're going to vaccinate. And it's just this strange contradiction. It's kind of like the pro-lifers who are for capital punishment. Oregon certainly embodies a lot of those strange political contradictions. Yeah. I mean, especially when you think about, you know, there are a lot of vaccines that if you don't get, they put other people at risk, um, like whooping cough or like, you know, uh, like some of the things that, you know, where kids are too young to get the vaccine yet. If another kid isn't vaccinated, that could potentially kill uh, the other, the other child. So I, before I forget, I have to tell you this last Sam Adams thing. So when the charter, the two ladies, one who was on the charter revision did this attack on Vadim and there was something else, I emailed Sam Adams and I've emailed him about other things. He never responds, just like uh, all of the city commissioners, the mayor. I have sent, my, mo- my mother has sent letters and thoughtful, like not attacking letters. They don't respond to anyone. That's what I'm hearing. Um, so I said, you know, this is really embarrassing to Oregon. Like, can you do something about how the Charter Review Commission is making this about anything other than changing the charter? And like three weeks later, he copies the head on on it and replies, okay, like, aren't you so funny? The other thing I, ha- I found out is the only reason Sam Adams is on the city payroll is that he's like two years away from being uh, 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 PERS uh, 1. So, Wow, Sam Adams is going to be PERS Tier 1. So he's basically yeah. going to be making more in retirement than he's making currently. That's what I've heard. So wow. he's probably making six figures right now, doing very little. I mean, he probably goes to these meetings, you know, um, and comes up with a few ideas. None of them have really happened, except they are starting to sweep camps. Uh, but that's what I've heard. That's why he's in this job. It's cronyism. Him and him and Wheeler are pals. And, well, it was uh, certainly cronyism. For those who don't know, Sam Adams was the Portland mayor. Th- there was a recall that failed. Voters typically don't like recalls, which when people are like, what about Schmidt? First of all, if we were to recall him, you have to have yeah, a Schmidt candidate. Is our, Sh- Schmidt is our pro-criminal DA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, to do that, you have to you have to have someone ready to to be in that position, which we don't have, and um, it, it usually they usually don't work. I mean, I think he knows that he doesn't have a shot in hell of of winning again for the next election. I have heard that he still plans on running again, um, but he he is, and I know him a little bit personally, and he's a really nice guy. I think this is an... I'm sure he is, and I'm sure he's well-intended. Yeah, that's what I, I think. I think he went into it with the right mindset, but what he, where he failed, and this is the lesson a good parent always teaches their child, you know, when you, when you admit when you're wrong, you give him nowhere to go. Only the biggest dick in the world is going, is going to react with, I was wrong in a negative way. And, uh, and his, his problem is that, he refuses to to admit that he was wrong. And what he could have done, I mean, if I was his campaign policy guy, I would have said, you know, 
listen, we we were all hoping this would work. We did not anticipate this new variant of meth that is being made in labs is super cheap. You know, we didn't know COVID was going to happen. Um, and it's time to course correct and pivot. But he's not willing to do that. He's just doing the same thing, maintaining the same focus on, you know, he's also blaming other people. In his, in his most recent interview, he said that they're playing catch up. Um, I just found out that another uh season DA has left uh a homicide DA has left that office uh I don't I mean the the criminal defense system in, in Oregon is on the verge of collapse I, I'm not joking um yesterday a Washington County circuit judge uh ordered that the or, the agency that oversees indigent defense in Oregon it's called OPDS that if they don't find an appointed lawyer for a case uh, at the next hearing, like a week from now, they're going to hold in contempt someone from that organization, meaning, are you going to put them in jail? Like, um, like there are, you know, there, there are no lawyers and, and what you want to, you want to put a baby lawyer on a case with a homicide case. The unfortunate reality is they need to dismiss those cases. No one should be sitting in jail without an attorney. That's just absurd. And no one should be held in contempt for that. That's a systemic issue that goes way back. But, you know, Sam Adams, the one time he responds to an email of mine, it's this cocky, condescending, you know, just fuck you to a constituent. Um, and and that's, you know, I've heard that this private group I'm in that has over a thousand people, the, the moderators do a good job of, of making sure, of vetting who wants to join and making sure that aren't, um, that there aren't people there for the wrong reasons. But uh, these reporters keep joining and like getting in for a while and then, and then they find out about them and kick them out because their whole, their whole reason for being there is they want to make us look like nimby, rich, terrible people who don't care about humanity. That's what that's what the Willamette Week or um, the Oregonian would write about what our ideas and platforms are. And by the way, and that's that's what they're branding you, who's a public defender, yeah. who's little, literally spent your life <laughs> in public service, particularly to the public service of alleged and accused criminals yeah that that's what um uh and that's why i mean we really i i and i i can't give credit to myself it's really some of the other people in the group i mean but i mean just speaking about you you're a very talented accomplished lawyer you could have done anything with your career and that's what you chose and these epithets lobbed at you because your political leanings don't conform with your with these critics are absolute I just want everybody to understand who you are that is absolutely absurd I mean I I mean I, ent- entitled enti- entitled and heartless I are I mean, not the words that come to mind of somebody who spent their life in public service public service as a public criminal defender yeah, I mean that that's why I guess I feel okay like pushing back like I mean I you know, my family has a woman, an undocumented woman who lives with us. And when Trump imposed the Muslim ban, I received an award for organizing the lawyers at the airport to stop deportations. And we actually stopped a deportation because I was absolutely disgusted and still am by by what that ban was all about. So I feel... Well, you were also key in the Women's March against Trump. You're also a, a Jewish citizen. You're... I mean, there are a million different ways in which 
and that's what drives me nuts about these fringe left criticisms of people who don't align with their politics. I've heard people call Shariah Mayfield and Renee Gonzalez white supremacists. Right. And for the record, Shariah is Egyptian and Renee is Latina. And she's Muslim. And by the way, for people who don't know. She is Muslim. Her, I, I heard her father speak once. Her father is Brandon yeah. Mayfield, and, and when she, when Sharia was twelve, their house was tossed by the feds because he was falsely accused of being involved in the Madrid bombing. The allegations by him and his attorney were that he was targeted specifically because he's a Muslim person who was married to an Egyptian and he had a Muslim Egyptian family. And I, he, they, they won a fabulous settlement because I think their arguments were probably quite good. Oh yeah. And because he was definitely because he was Muslim. And I think because he was a lawyer, I think their initial thought was that he was this, you know, working as this smart lawyer, uh, advising, you know, Al Qaeda or whatever. But, um, I mean, he was jailed. It was, he was, I mean, he was put in a, you know, top security cell like I, I believe he was like when he was brought in they put something over his head so he didn't know where he was he wasn't allowed to have contact with a lawyer for a while because you know they treat those cases differently in terms of rights and so um yeah so this young woman is extremely credentialed went to ivy league schools uh is quite young for all of her accomplishments has a plan is isn't afraid to uh are you talking about Shariah, Shariah yeah. Mayfield who's running for Multnomah County yeah. chair and understands what it's like to be targeted for being uh, a minority and so i but she's been called a white supremacist um so i, I i've been well and she's a very leftist person i mean she's yeah. met with the teachers union when she when you guys hear her episode her podcast episode you'll see she is practically as left as Portland. I mean, the only way in which she doesn't align with the current loudest voices in the room is on her homelessness issues. But I, like you said, Jennifer, I think there is a silent majority of people. And I don't think it's how the majority of Portlanders see the world anymore. As they look around and see the kind of lives that these people are being left to live, like it's we're this in South Sudan or something. Right. It's just heartbreaking. My, my and I want to be clear about this in case I in case I am ever you know publicly accused of something or or if Antifa decides to dox me, my anger is not directed at the people living in tents. Addiction addiction makes you do insane things. Addiction makes you steal. It makes you violent. My anger is to these so called you know, do-gooders who are leaving these individuals to suffer in their addiction and mental illness and despair um, and, and do nothing for the, for the sake of their ideology. I mean, these are the same people that are have, have stopped um, programs and options in other parts of the city. They don't do anything for humanity. They don't do anything to make any anybody different, anything different. Um, all they do is complain and all they believe that it is their God-given mission to fight against anything, even if it makes absolutely no sense. So I I I mean you and I both, I mean I I there I have too many success stories to count of my amazing clients who, you know, the person they are today is unrecognizable from the person they were when I got appointed, um, who have completely transformed their life because they were in a situation where they had no choice. If they wanted to avoid a lengthy prison sentence that, and they wanted to stay out of custody while their case was pending, 
they had to go into treatment. They had to go into mental health counseling. They had to do things. And having that hanging over their head was a great motivator. I have a client who is getting her degree in paralegal studies. She's going to be a paralegal. She's amazing. She was a heroin addict for 18 years. Her dad started bawling at her sentencing because she didn't get any time. She, she got time served because uh, I work with a great uh, AUSA, a prosecutor, a, a man who really understands the nuanced issues uh, that happen with female offenders. Um, but she, uh, her dad started crying and said that he would hug the police officer who arrested her if he could, because he never thought he would see this day. 18, she started when she was 16. She is now going to school, working, has a, has a child, is a great mom, li- you know, lives in, in subsidized housing, got into, you know, went from, from treatment to shelter to, to an apartment. Um, isn't the greatest apartment ever, but it works for her. Uh, has her child in in either a low cost or no cost uh, daycare program while she's getting her degree. Um, th- that happens all the time, but it, it, it doesn't happen. One thing that we need to be doing, we need to, if Hooper is not currently open, Hooper was the longstanding detox program where you could show up at one o'clock in the morning and go through, uh, you know, g- getting clean. But what I've heard is that they had to shut down because they were not equipped to handle the effects of this new kind of meth. It was too dangerous. People were so violent and out of control that it wasn't safe for their staff. One thing that we should be doing right now is opening, and I, we have to say, with with security presence, whether that's armed security guards or, lo- or cops, uh, to protect these mental health workers, to protect these treatment providers, we should be opening these detox centers in every quadrant of the city so that so that people can be told on the street you know listen if if you are ready you can go here right now and you can get clean and then we're going to transition you into a treatment program why why are we not doing that why are we not doing that and, and i and i will i will say and my i my fear is that our investigation into these this these nonprofits is going to show just how much money uh, these nonprofits are getting to keep the status quo in place right now and and how much waste uh, we are we are awarding to people for these sort of out there in the ether ideas of community outreach like whatever that means um, so you know I, I think it is I think it is wrong to expect a woman mental health worker to go into a situation by herself with someone who is having a psychotic uh, meth related incident I mean don't you think that's not okay? Um, yeah, it's, it's just not okay. And, and again, if AGM McCreary got her way, this is what would be the forever of Portland. Uh, and if we had ranked choice voting, we would have more AGM McCreary's and more hardesties and man, we would be losing even more citizens because I know that you've seen that our people are leaving Multnomah County in record, record number. Jennifer. Thank you so much for coming on. We always appreciate your no holds barred, no BS analysis of local Portland politics. Everybody, that's it for our episode. I love you all. Please like and subscribe. You can find our podcast on any podcast platform. Share it with a friend. Tell a friend. I do this for no money. I just really, really want to see Portland thrive again. And if you feel the same way, please tell a friend about the podcast. 
and give us a good rating on iTunes. And I think Spotify has ratings now. It really does make a difference and it helps the algorithm suggest the podcast to others and spread the word. Thanks so much, guys. Love you. Bye.